concern. Thanks, Andy. Talk later. Bye. Happy Friday, everyone. I have no idea what the date is. It is sometime in the middle of August, and we are live on Facebook. We are now live on Zoom. This is shelter in place event 20 something. Everything is a blur. We have just as a word of warning and a cautionary tale, uh, don't adjust your screens. The, I am this white uh, and we have taken the show on the road uh, from our new studio location in Naples, Florida. But uh, we are also having extreme difficulties. And for those of you that are old enough to remember rabbit ear antennas with tinfoil on top where your father used to make you go adjust the television and hold the antenna so he could watch the game. We're about at that scope of technical skills this evening. Uh, but we are excited to have you with us. And I already see a whole bunch of people. Caitlin Greasy, you're fantastic for joining. Jeff and Jane are here. We're gonna get to the whole Greasy family in a minute. Nick Schramm, thank you, sir, for jumping in. Scotland Key for Sean Manning from Colorado. Uh, I do want to let people know that we actually, breaking news, have a wardrobe sponsor. A little bit on that in a minute. Uh, but on a more serious note, you know, for 20 weeks in a row, we have endeavored to, to bring some of the best winemakers from Napa and Sonoma into your living room. Uh, and as I say every single Friday night for SIP, that while we have to physically distance, it doesn't mean we have to socially distance. And even though our technology sucks and the production studio is going to hear, who, by the way, who is in the production studio? Is it Julie? Stefan. Stefan is working with us. He knows his name is Steven, right? It's Stefan. I, I don't understand. Uh, so we've got Stefan in the production studio helping out with some things, but everybody is chipping in because the technology is not that good this evening. Uh, that will be fixed by next week, we hope. But tonight is a very, very special night because we have a long, long time Cellar Angel favorite that was literally, we had to coax from the comfort of her uh, quarantine couch to join us on video. And she crafts, I don't wanna say limited production wines or micro boutique wines, it's almost nano production. If we can get smaller than micro boutique, it might be nano production. Uh, but she is a near and dear friend of not only the company, but of both our chief operating angel, Denise, and myself. And without much further ado, I would love to everybody give a warm welcome and a thumbs up and an applause virtually to legendary winemaker and owner of Zoetic Wines, Kim Vance. Hi, thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> weeks weeks, weeks to come. <laughs> Crowd going wild. I know, I know. I appreciate everybody um, asking for me to be here. I, I just, I'm overwhelmed. I appreciate it. So hi, Debbie. Hi to the Greasies. You guys are amazing. And hi, everybody else coming on board. Uh, it's, and I mean, it is a crazy time. And I did mention at the top of the show, and we, this is going to be a jam-packed show. It's going to move very, very fast. <laughs> technology aside. So listen as fast as you possibly can, because there might be a delay on the audio. Uh, pay attention, put down the white claws, pick up the Pinot Noir, and it's going to be a spectacular hour of, of charm, delight, information, and engaging entertainment with Kim. Uh, Kim and I first met. Kim, I want to say it might have been shortly after your first vintage in 2012. Do you remember how we met? I honestly don't. Um, it may have been through a mutual friend um, that was on a couple weeks ago, which is Cindy Costco. I know I've seen people on your like on your website and you guys promoting them. So it may have been there. I was honestly thinking about this the other day and it just escapes me. 
Well, and we are huge fans, obviously, of Cindy at Passaggio. So it would not be at all unusual for her to actually reach out and say, hey, you need to meet Seller Angels. And I think that's as good a place as any to where we got uh, introduced and we're forever thankful. And I think, you know, starting off at the top, one of the things that has fascinated me about your passion is is really, I don't know where it came from. It's, you weren't born into this industry. You didn't grow up in a vineyard. You didn't uh, develop a dot-com company and strike it rich and say, hey, I'm going to go buy some vineyard land in, in the Russian River. How did you come by the passion for great wines? No, I didn't do any of those things, although I really wish I had one, you know, a, you know, a, a lottery or something or struck it rich in a startup company. Um, and if you guys are seeing what I'm seeing with Martin doing this whole delay thing, it's, it's fun. This is going to be a funny. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I, I'm Italian, 100%. Um, and it was always a, a huge thing for my family to bake, to have people over for family dinners. Our home was their home, right? And so it wasn't unusual for us to, to have baked goods and share them out with everybody. Um, so kind of taking that as my background and then as I got older, I got into wine. I was helping with wine education and more on the learning and helping with classes. And so I was just really, really in, in, engulfed in it, like from the front end of things. And then my husband and I were traveling out to California. This is when we were living in Texas at the time. We were traveling out to California a lot. Um, we fell in love with wine country. We got married in wine country. Um, and so we were traveling out and every visit we started going to meet with winemakers and just really learning a lot more about wine production. And so um, I kind of got bit, you know, it was one of those things. I'm like, I want to do that. I was at my company. I was in the financial industry for 15 years at the time, really bored with it, um, ready to get out, ready to find something new. And so we, David and I came out in January of 2008 and we went to a winery. Uh, we hooked oh, up wait. with a winemaker. Why, when you say we came out in 2008, and I'd, I'd be curious, because if you're down in Houston, uh, what was the draw to go to wine country? Why not go to Martha's Vineyard? Why not go to the Keys? Why not go to, you know, Aspen or Vale or Steamboat? What was the draw to wine country? I just, I probably like everybody else, I love the romanticism of it. Um, and it was one of those things that's like, I love wine. I love everything about wine country. I love the hospitality of it. You know, it's, I like to call it Disneyland for adults because you can, you know, have all the different kind of wines that you want and you can go out and do, you know, have great dinners and all this stuff. And I just fell in love with it. Um, in Northern California, um, actually when we came to California for the first time, we went to Southern California and I fell in love. And if anybody has been to Houston, I love Houston. I love my family and my friends are still in Houston, but it is hot. And the humidity, I was just over it. And so when we came to California, I just fell in love. And so um, this particular trip in 2008, uh, it was a January and we had never been out in California wine country in January. And if you've ever been out here, it's, it's rainy. It's like the only time we get rain. Um, so it wasn't very glamorous, but it was fine. Um, but we ended up having a conversation with a winemaker and I kept asking him all these questions about production and what do you do and how does this happen? And what is this device for? Cause he's completely walking us through the, the caves of the winery. And, um, he gave me a, a tip and he said, you know, if you're really interested in learning more about this, you should come out and work harvest. And I was like, dude, that would be amazing. 
So had you any idea of what working harvest meant? I did. Or did you just have these grander visions of Lucia Ball, just kind of, uh, you know, late evening parties with freshly harvested juice and... No, I, I had a good idea because we had traveled out enough. We'd come out okay. during harvest, so I saw the work happening. Of course, I didn't do it myself, um, but I had an idea about what happened. I didn't realize how difficult it was and how dirty and all that it was, but I guess more to come on that. But... Um, when we were when we were done my husband and i were leaving the parking lot and i was like you know that would be awesome i don't i just want to try that and i again i've been at my company 15 years i had a, i could accrue so much vacation to take like a month off at a time so super supportive husband he goes you know what if you're interested you should just do it and i was like oh wait are you serious like you're really gonna let me do this and so this was january of 2008 no lie like a week later i was on the phone calling winemakers and seeing if I could get on their crew for that harvest, for that, like, what, September time frame. And right. it was really so, funny. Sorry? No, go ahead. It was really funny because I had, you know, I knew I wanted to make Pinot Noir because it was my favorite wine. I was like, I don't know what else to make. I'm going to make something that I love, and I'll be able to drink the rest of it if it doesn't go very well. Um, but I had gotten connected with a couple winemakers that were specific Pinot producers, and so I reached out to one, and this is like, you know, like I said, January, they are all just coming off of harvest. The last thing they want to think about is the next harvest coming up. So I call this guy and I'm like, Hey, you know, I got your name from so-and-so and I'm really interested in working harvest. Do you mind if I come out, you know, could I talk to you about working on your crew next year? And he's like, um, I'm really flattered. I'm super happy that you're interested, but can we talk in like six months? Cause I, <laughs> not, I don't even want to think about it. Um, so anyway, so let me, let me pause right there for a second okay. because I, I think it's I think it's a perfect example of you mentioned you were bit by the bug and it's a bug that we're we're pretty familiar with and but it, when it bites hard uh, there's not much to do and I want to say hello to Annette Barger uh, Dave Advance you might know him uh, <laughs> I don't know if I said hello to the Longs Debbie and Philip uh, Diane Yetter thank you so much uh, and the man is I did mention uh, Julie Fogarty. So thank you so much for jumping on. It's, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I struggle with is finding eloquent ways to tell the stories of what you're actually talking about right now. Whereas you pulled out of a parking lot and you looked at David and said, Hey, I, I want to do this. And, and he was supportive enough to say, okay, well, let's get back and, and figure out a way to do this. But that's passion. That's throwing caution to the wind. That's courage. That's, that's grit. And, and that is something that I think is, is commendable. And I actually think it kind of comes through a little bit in your winemaking style because these Pinot Noir is an extremely difficult grape as everyone knows. Uh, and we're gonna get into kind of your passion for Pinot Noir and, and how it expresses itself. But were you at all, was there any trepidation after you told David, this is what I wanna do to, and he says yes. And you're like, holy crap, this, none. No. I was floored. I was so excited. Um, and again, it kind of goes back to the fact that I was in my company for so long. I was totally burned out. I wanted something different to do. I knew I was looking for another career. And so I said, you know what, if, if he's going to let me do this, I, I, that's why I said it didn't take me any time to pick up the phone and start calling people. I was so excited. That is awesome. And I want to do a quick housekeeping to folks that are joining right now. Uh, everyone that I see online, and I can't speak for Facebook, but everyone that I know that I've already said hello to is likely drinking one of your wines. If not the Pinot Noir that's currently on the Cellar Angels website. 
uh, or the Sav Blanc, which they've purchased via you or us in the past. Uh, but real quick, how they're doing this is because they are going to this screen here. Um, the screen is slowly, I've got to feed this hamster more. Um, so this custom collection over here on the left is what we're talking about. So this is the SIP kit and some of you on the, on the uh, SIP tonight are actually running out. I know that for a fact. Uh, so you might need to reorder because it gets you the next six Friday nights wines. So you can sit back, relax. The wine I'm drinking right now is in fact the 2015 Hop Kiln Pinot Noir, and we'll talk a little bit about this special over here that Kim and I are going to tease you with uh, later on in the program. But uh, everyone needs to recognize Cellar Angels is a direct-to-consumer wine company, and we feature wines exclusively from Napa and Sonoma, and we tell the stories, like Kim, of the great producers who you would never have a chance to find unless you're actually in the valley or on the private mailing list of the winery. These wines rarely are distributed outside of California, but they are the premier wines in the valley that they just don't make enough. And Kim's a testament to that because her case production uh, on certain vintages is scary small. Uh, so uh, as a matter of fact, there's gonna be an offer later on this evening where you better act fast because it'll be gone by daylight. Uh, but Kim, what is the overall production right now, all of the SB and all the Pinot Noir that you have? Um, well, in general, I can just say for any vintage, we've only made about 150 cases max. So all right. super small, like you mentioned, um, the one of the wines that you just spoke to, you know, we only did 25 cases of that. So uh, a lot, a lot, a lot smaller <laughs> than most people out there. Uh, and also, hello to Mary Hendricks and Stephen Alinea on Facebook. Thank you guys for joining. Ileana, I am so sorry. Stefan, get a little bit better with the pronunciations in my ear. Um, so under 150 case production for wines, and you had a passion for Pinot Noir, which is amazing to me because you're going, well, I guess you focused on Sonoma over Napa. Was that because that's where you first visited when you came out to the Valley? No, actually, we started in Napa. Like everybody else, right? You're, you go to wine country, and the only thing you know is Napa, um, which is not to say anything bad about Napa, but that's usually what you think about when you think about going to California wine country. Um, but the, like I said, we were coming out often. It was kind of a running joke with our friends that um, it was not unusual that when we told them we were going on vacation, they're like, where are you going, California? We're like, yes. So it was kind of one of those things. Um, but we were always going to wine country. And so we started branching out beyond Napa. We went to Russian River, Alexander Valley, Anderson Valley, um, all over the place just to really see the different parts of the, of the wine country. And then also the wines that were being produced in those areas are so different. And so that was something else that we really enjoyed is because we like all types of wines. Um, so we obviously weren't discriminating. We're like, we're gonna go see what, you know, what's growing best in Alexander Valley. How's it grow different than what grows in Napa and, and that sort of thing. So really kind of more uh, forensic analysis type of things where, where you kind of want to, and I wonder if that maybe harkens back to your financial career where you do <laughs> analysis. You weren't just gonna go, huh, that's yeah, a pretty good wine. Okay, I got this dialed in. Well, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because um, I had, I was on a, um, a committee, a wine committee in Houston, and one of my friends 
was is a huge uh, Washington wine fan. And so yep. I, when I started talking about, you know, making Pinot Noir, she goes, wait, before you move to California and start making California Pinot, you have to go to Washington. You have to try the Pinots in Washington. So we did our analysis. We flew up to Washington. You know, we did everything up and down, you know, their, their so wine walla, area. Walla Walla, Red Mountain, all of it. All of it. All of it. Um, and yet we found what we loved. So here we are. Yeah, that, that is that is. <laughs> that is laborious research, isn't it? It's like, we have to go wine tasting again today. Son of a gun. I know. Yeah. One of the jokes that David has with me is uh, we've done, I think, at most 15 wineries in one day. So, yeah, I know. You guys can yeah. come along next time. It's a lot of fun. We do have a driver. Look, we are safe. We are safe uh, when okay. we do this. Yes. Thank you. I was just going to say, I don't know if my liver or my... Um, <laughs> My driver's license could handle either of those things. Um, so Pinot Noir, the, the craziest grape in the Northern Hemisphere and yeah. the New World, hearken obviously to France. Uh, and, it, and it struck you as just what? Was it just kind of its, its flavor profile? Was it depth? Was it, I mean, what was it that you just said, holy, and it stopped you in your tracks? I think everything. I think, like you said, it's, the variety of flavors and the depths and the colors and everything that you can get out of a Pinot Noir. I mean, you can get a light Washington style um, Pinot. You have the varieties that you, you know, the, the flavor profiles that come out of like New Zealand. You have the flavor profiles that come out of Northern California, Central Coast. I mean, everything is so different, but yet it's all Pinot Noir. Um, and it was just something that I, that I gravitated to um, anytime I went to grab a glass of wine, it was something that I always, that I'm like, yep, I want a Pinot. And it was just exciting to me because there's so many different types of Pinots out there. Um, and I went into making the Pinot, not knowing that it was the heartbreak grape. That's what it's called because it's so difficult to make. And I didn't even think about that. I'm like, I love Pinot. I'm going to make Pinot. And so that's kind of where I went. And was there anybody that you looked to for guidance, uh, spiritually? organically, you know, viticulturally, uh, psychologically saying, what am I doing? Who were who the folks that inspired you that you, you looked to? I had a lot of help. Um, I actually reached out. So when I was doing research, not necessarily just traveling to California, um, but I actually did go back to school. I don't know if anybody has ever gone back to school as an adult, but you know, kudos to you. It's not fun, but I did go back to school. Um, and what I was doing is I was working harvest multiple years after this 2008, when I came out and I said, I'm going to work harvest. And I did, um, I did it for three years, but every in between every harvest, when I was back in Houston, I was going to school at night, um, to learn more about the chemistry behind winemaking. And because I didn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't living in California. I did take an online class from Davis, but it's not like I was going to Davis with everybody else that was learning winemaking. Um, right. So during that time, I was reaching out to people that I had met, uh, different winemakers that I met when we were out here. I actually reached out to um, Kathleen Inman, if anybody knows Inman Family Wines, you know, wanting to know how is it to be a woman winemaker? You know, what, it, what are the struggles that you have? And are you seeing any issues between that and, you know, our male counterparts? She makes phenomenal Pinot Noir. So she was somebody else that I reached out to. Um, the individuals that I was reaching out to, to work harvest, um, all of those people I still stay in touch with, um, Kent Rasmussen, um, who is 
a fantastic winemaker in general, who is the winemaker for the Nerloves that were on a couple weeks ago. Um, he, he's a great friend of mine, um, and he was somebody that I worked harvest with, and he's a mentor. So I just have a lot of people that I'm that I stayed in touch with all throughout the winemaking process that I still I still ping. You know, anytime I have questions on anything. Well, I owe people an explanation about why I'm wearing white, and it's not because we just moved to Naples uh, in our new production studio, uh, so long Chicago, to accent my tan because I don't get tan. I am referred to often as the Canadian flag because I have two colors, red and white. And so uh, that is my nickname. But I am wearing white this evening because as I mentioned at the top of the show, we have a brand new wardrobe sponsor. And ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to our wardrobe sponsor, Zoetic. Look what Kim Vance sent us in the mail that arrived when we arrived in Florida. It doesn't get much better than that. And if I could go over here and just flash the guns of Cellar Angels, I actually might have just pulled something. Um, that actually hurt. Uh, so. Uh, we are indebted to Kim. This was a package that greeted us and she was kind enough to send us a custom embroidered shirt with Zoetic. So uh, future wineries, if and when you are listening, Sorry. we are, we, yeah, this, she's our wardrobe sponsor. I am, I am wearing this until we get a, an equal wardrobe sponsor. I'm wearing this tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's an unbelievably comfortable shirt. And I thank you. And, and the other thing I want to do is we'll kick off a first poll question because I think it's important because it will set up where we are, where I am behind me. Obviously, Kim knows very, very well. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and launch a poll question if we can. And um, there we go. So uh, with Kim, there is a famous Ike, which plays a major role in the evolution of Zoetic. As a political historian, Kim was fascinated by local Texan, Dwight D. Ike Eisenhower, the weather phenomenon known as Hurricane Ike, or Ike's famous crab cakes, a restaurant in New Jersey where I fell in love with Sauvignon Blanc and shellfish. So we're gonna give everybody a couple seconds here to, and I forgot because we normally sometimes have four answers, but Facebook only allows three. Uh, so, We'd like to, if someone knows Jeff Zuckerberg, could they maybe invest a little money on Smart. Smart. Apple or Jeff, Jeff Zuckerberg, <laughs> which isn't Jeff Zuckerberg with like NBC or something. Who's Jeff Zuckerberg? Stefan, could you find out who Jeff Zuckerberg is, please? Hashtag Jeff Zuckerberg. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. Jeff Greasy, you got a lot of money riding on this. Let's see what your streak is. All right, so Kim. Yes. Wow. We've got, we've got answers all over the board. Right. Huh. So put Ironically, these... I don't know if you know this, but I was born in New Jersey, so. Of course I know that. Our production crew was all over that. How do you think I got Ike's Famous Crab Cakes? <laughs> but I've never been to Ike's Famous Crab <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, so put these fine wine folks out of their misery. Who got it correct? Um, whoever mentioned the hurricane, Ike, that's, that's the one that's in my history books. Interesting. And how did that get in your history books as it relates to Zoetic? Yeah. So I love telling the story because 
like when I when I even tell the story and I'm hearing it back to myself, I'm like, wait, what did I do? So I mentioned 2008, we were, I was planning on coming out and working harvest. So I got this job lined up and everything. And as you all know, I'm from Houston, which gets hits with hurricanes all the time. So in 2008, that's that fall, we got hit hard with Hurricane Ike. Um, and I, um, everybody lost power. <clears throat> so I had teed up vacation and we were going to leave on this particular Saturday, let's say, but we planned to drive because for some, and, and, so a little bit back, my first job was going to be in San Francisco. And if you've ever been to San Francisco, you don't need a car, but I'm from Houston right. and you have to have a car. So we swore we needed a car. So we planned, my husband and I planned to drive from Houston to California. So hurricane night comes, we're all without power. And, um, we started packing up the car. We're like, you know, we might as well just leave. We don't have power. We're going to leave in a couple of days anyway. Let's just leave early. So we loaded up the car and a lot of our neighbors were evacuating. They were going to Dallas, El Paso, you know, any place they could where there was power. And so we're outside loading up the car and one of our neighbors walks by and we're trying to be kind of low key about things and load up the car and go. And he goes, Hey guys, are you evacuating? And we're like, yeah, load up the car. And then he goes, well, where are you going? And we're like, oh, you know, we just got to get out of here. And he's like, oh, okay, well, you head into Dallas? We're like, no, we're going to California. And he goes, what? Like, you're going all the way to California. to Like, you don't need to go all the way to California to evacuate. But we did. So anyway, so that's kind of how Hurricane Ike plays into my history. But the funniest part of it is my plans were to, to drive to San Francisco. I was going to work harvest for this, this guy. Um, which is a great friend of mine, Andrew Vangelo with AP Vin um, in San Francisco. But what I did was I literally went on like Craigslist. I rented out a room with a dude in his flat. I didn't know this guy at all. I never, I don't, I didn't even know the winemaker. I just talked to him on the phone and then I'm, and I drove out here and did it. And then what's even worse. By yourself. Well, David drove with me, but what's worse is, as we're driving out, Andrew calls me and he goes, oh my God, are you guys okay? You know, I haven't been able to get in touch with you. We're like, yeah, you know, the hurricane knocked us all out and um, we lost power, but we're on, a, on our way. And he goes, that's fantastic because we're actually getting fruit in, in two days, can you be here? And can you meet us at the winery at 4 a.m.? And I'm like, sure. So my first thing, my first day on my very first harvest, I met a random dude, David, by the way, my husband's with me. He drops me off 4 a.m. in front of a winery, two dudes in a Penske, and he's like, see you later, and he just takes off. So that's what I'm like. I look back on this, and I'm like, holy crap, what did I do? So I take off. We go to the vineyard. We pick the fruit, pick it up, bring it back, and then at like, I don't know, 11.30 p.m., I finally head back to the flat. David's there, and I'm completely covered in grape juice, sticky, dirty, exhausted, and I remember to this day, I remember standing in the shower and going, oh my God, that was the best day ever. That's and to this day, David is going, I thought you said our wedding was the best day ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. Uh, that's a different story. And um, yeah. Yeah. So the I mean, I, I, I the best day ever. Lots I, of memories. This, this gets back to what we talked about at the beginning. Uh, there is a, a sense of, of passion, determination, persistence, perseverance. Uh, you know, Angela Duckworth wrote a great book called Grit. And, and it, it is a testament to you. It's a testament to David. It's a, 
your partnership, and we know a few things about partnership here at Solar Angels, and but but it really is interesting that allowing you to pursue this dream and physically exhausted, mentally fatigued, having driven two thirds of the way across the country. Don't correct my math, but I think it's a pretty long way from Houston to uh, Russian River. Um, and you are sitting in the shower going, that was the best day ever. I mean, that really is, is the American dream, being able to do that and, yeah. and follow that passion. So uh, hats off to you for, for taking that leap of faith. Uh, I did notice one thing about the, the hop kiln that I'm drinking and it has a screw cap. Yeah. And I'm a big fan. But I'm curious, the, the methodology of decision-making and the rationale, and was it one of those things where you're like, cork is just that much more expensive? I like the hygienic closure of a screw cap, and this is an easy decision. Or what went into that thought process? Um, I think it was a lot of different things. Uh, cost, obviously, was a thing. Um, I, 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 I didn't want to deal with corked wines. Um, the more I learned about the screw cap, and if you ever look inside, I actually have it sitting right next to me, too the little insert in there actually does allow air to get in there and breathe. Um, and that is actually, it's very minute. It's not like you're going to get, you know, bad wine because of it, but it's a good thing to have that to right. allow the flow. Um, but the more I learned about the, the screw caps in comparison to the corks, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with them. And so, yeah, I've, I've just kind of, and then the people that I worked with, you know, they were all using screw caps along the way. And I asked them the same questions, like, why do you do it over screw corks versus screw caps? And there's a huge debate about it, but it was just one thing that I kind of went towards and I've never had a problem, knock on wood. No, and that's great. And I mentioned that I'm drinking uh, the 2015 Hop Kiln that we have on the Cellar Angels website right now. And Hop Kiln is actually a vineyard uh, right behind me. So uh, I do want to share some with some folks, and this is a great many people, we're going to lose half our audience once the Google Earth presentation is over because it's really kind of like what they stay for. And then once we're done with that, they leave. I don't understand it. Um, but I want to show people what we're talking about. Uh, so, Kim, I need you to say yay when you can see the Earth. Yay. Okay, good. So uh, <laughs> just as a history or geography lesson, this is New Zealand. They currently have no uh, coronavirus cases. That might be our next stop for Denise and I. Uh, great wine region, but let's go take a look at Hop Kiln. And later we'll have a sobriety test. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So this is Hop Kiln, very, very, very famous winery. And on West Side Road, if I'm not mistaken, yep. which is this little road right here that weaves through and around. Yep. Um, and the vineyard behind me is a very, very steep triangle vineyard block. And if I'm not mistaken, it's this one. Uh, see where that little white building is? This one? Yeah. So it's that area right there, just to the okay. right of that little. Yep. And yeah, you Down can't here. really tell. It is super steep. There's almost no, a little triangle right where your cursor is. Well, and it's interesting because uh, in 2000, I don't know when we first filmed with you. Oh, wait, you're right. You're totally right. I'm looking at, yep, you're right. It's right where that little corner is. We parked right well, there. In the correct. We drove up this hill and this, this hill looks flat. It is not flat. No. Um, this, is, this is a very steep hill. And then the vineyard slope you're looking at behind me is, is this little slope right here. But how did you get to know the folks at Hop Kiln and, and why 
kind of work with the fruit that they have uh, and why it was re special and resonated with you? So, as you, as you know, I really wanted to make Pinot Noir um, and I really wanted to make Pinot from Russian River. I, I just kind of gravitated to it. And I think I saw in the chat, um, Jeff posted in there, like, what, why did I pick California over Washington over anybody else? <clears throat> if you've ever done, <clears throat> excuse me, a comparison of other Pinot Noirs from other parts of the country, Washington typically is a lighter style Pinot, mainly because they don't get the heat that California does. Um, so you'll typically find a much lighter. So whenever you, and what I like to call our Pinot is like the Pinot for cab lovers because it is a big Pinot. And so a lot of people will call it, you know, oh, it's the big bombs of, you know, California Pinot because it is so big because we get some really nice heat. But then you get those cold um, coming off the coast, the cold breezes at night, the cold temperatures that really can, um, it produces really great Pinot. Um, but I, again, looking for something small, I started the winery in 2012 was the first vintage. And I knew um, it was just the two of us, right? I, I, I knew how to make Pinot. I had worked three harvests. I had it under my belt, but at the same time, I, I wanted to start small. So I really wanted one ton. And it's really difficult to get anybody to sell you one ton of Pinot because there's a lot of work. If anybody is out there in the vineyard, if you've ever picked fruit, it is not easy. And I've done it. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, so I ended up getting on the phone, randomly calling people that had Pinot for sale. And I said, hey, do you mind if I buy a ton of fruit? And I was very, very fortunate to meet the people at Hop Kiln and the winemaker at the time and the, the vineyard manager at the time were amazing guys. And they said, yes, we'll help you out. And so basically they just kind of took me under their wing and helped me. So, I mean, and that's, that's two stories this evening where someone basically, Cindy Costco, the first one saying, hey, you need to meet Cellar Angels. And we're forever grateful because it's led only to, not only to this evening, but just a terrific friendship and love seeing you guys whenever we're out in the Valley. And unfortunately the pandemic cut your trip to Chicago, I know. Uh, but, but also I think it's fascinating and it's not, this isn't an isolated story where you where a, a budding winemaker calls an existing winemaker or fruit source and says, Hey, I'm really, really interested. And they literally just will do anything they can to help you succeed. And I think it's one of the most magical aspects of this industry. Yeah. Uh, it, yes, a rising tide lifts all boats. I certainly understand that. But there is also, there can be an, an obstinance where in other industries are like, I'm not showing you anything. You know, it took me 30 years to get here, blah, blah, blah. But in the wine industry, they're like, oh my God, you want to make Pinot? Come on over. We'll show you what we do and stuff like that. And that that's just magical. So I'm, I'm glad you were were persistent in, in doing that and able to, to, to find a source. And one of the things I think that's unique about what you do with the Pinot, and you mentioned heat, and I know you're talking about climatic heat, temperature and stuff like that, yeah. but, but your wine at the 2015 hop kiln that I'm drinking is 15.3 in alcohol, which would normally be burning. And, and yet it has incredible depth. I don't feel any heat at all from alcohol. And my guess is that that has not only a lot to do with uh, the location, the vineyard, but also the clone. Um, and, and from a clone standpoint, perhaps even barrel selection. So you're kind of a, uh, and I mean this with the utmost of affection, a mad scientist when it comes with, with clone selection. But 
walk us through kind of your decision-making process on here's why I'm using this clone, here's why I don't use that clone, and, and how you come up with the, the artistry to be able to produce a, a final you know, bottle of Pinot Noir based upon clones. So I was really fortunate um, for, the, for the first, the guy that I worked with in my first year, I mentioned Andrew, um, he purchased fruit from at the time, six or seven different vineyards and everything came in, in their bins, clonal specific. So it was all Pinot Noir, but it was individually based on where it was picked from the vineyard. They had planted it clone specific and then they they basically put it in the bins, clone specific, when they picked it and brought it to us. So I was really fortunate. It's almost like, and I, I think, Martin, we've talked about this, and it was on my previous video, I think, if anybody's seen it, where I talk about they're like apples, um, where they all have a different flavor profile, but they're all apples. So if you pick a, a Brayburn and you eat it against a green, you know, a Granny Smith or something, they all taste different, but they're still apples. They have different acidity levels, different sweetness levels. Um, so basically I was a kid in the candy store. All these bins would come into the winery and they were all different clones. And I literally would just pick at each one of them and say, oh, I like this one. Oh, I don't like this one. And what I was tasting was that one's really sweet. That one's very earthy. This one's a combination of both. And it was, it was kind of fun just to kind of just taste them individually. And all of that comes out when you make the wine out of that fruit. Um, so I took that knowledge and advanced it. And then, as I mentioned, I was only buying like a ton at a time. So there's not a lot of manipulation you can do. I don't manipulate the wine in any way. I didn't want to because I love what, and I hate to be cheesy, but I love what mother nature provides as far as the grapes. They don't need any manipulation. But one thing that a winemaker can do is tweak the barrels. And if okay, you've wait, ever heard that. Oh, hey, 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 you're jumping ahead to my next poll question. Oh, sorry. Oh, I won't do that. Let's stick with the apples. And by the way, Miriam Puentes. Hello, Miriam. Um, always good to see her. She is, I think Miriam actually might be uh, coming up in the future. She is a fantastic uh, winery on Rama who actually, she did get to Chicago earlier this year. Nice. Maybe it was last year. It was last year. Wow, that was crazy how fast time goes. But um, with that, I because you just talked about Clone selection, barrel selection, and I think I have a question here okay. for what is more important? I can't remember. It might have been an essay question. No, it's. Uh, let me see if I can do the last question. Was that the clone one? Yes, here we go. Um, for me, as in me, Kim, not me, Martin, uh, for me, the most important ingredient in a great wine is the dirt, the clone, the barrel. Okay, we, we've got um, 10 more seconds. Put down the, the sausage and cheese. <laughs> Five, four, three. Oh, I see some answers changing. Two. Me too. Honestly, me too. One. All right, so the reveal. Nice. Again, all over the board. <laughs> now, what I, there may not be obviously a single right answer, but there's probably one given the fact that you're producing 25 cases and what you just talked about with minimal uh, manipulation and intervention. 
what to you is kind of the single most important ingredient for great wines that you produce? I, I'm going with the majority here and with the clones. Okay. So nice work, people. <laughs> um, so uh, for folks that chose the dirt, dirt, very important. Yes. Uh, barrel, very important. We're going to talk about a little bit about both, but the clone selection is wickedly important. So there's so many Pinot Noir clones. I mean, you've got Pomar, 777, 737, Dijon. I mean, how do you decide what to plant or what to use in your final product? Yeah, so I, I like I said, when I was working at that first um, harvest job, I was able to taste a lot of different clones. Um, I think we were bringing in like six or seven or eight different clones. And so it was really, it was a great variety. I gravitated to Pomard. Um, hence, you know, my block 21. Um, and then when I was calling around and looking for places to get wine, I, I swear I just landed into the best situation because I knew I wanted the Pomard clone. I knew I wanted the second clone. I was leaning towards, you know, one or two different ones that I favored. Um, and then when I called Hot Kiln, they were like, yep, you can have it. That's fine. So they, they gave me what I asked for. Um, so my first 2012, um, I got one ton of fruit and half of it was the Pomard clone and the other half was um, triple seven. And they're both great. Um, and then what I ended up doing and what I was saying a moment ago is I, I don't, I don't manipulate the wine in any way when it's, when it's um, forming wine. Uh, the only thing I was doing was changing the barrels and Another great thing, if, if anybody is interested, is to do a barrel, whenever we get out of this crazy pandemic, is do a barrel tasting, um, but a comparison, because a lot of wineries will have the same wine in different barrels. And so it's a lot of fun to do, and there's a lot of barrel makers that will do this, um, so that winemakers can see how different barrels and different toasts impact a wine. So if you can, if you have the opportunity to do it, it's amazing. I got to do it, um, tasting Pinot Noir out of different barrels, different toast levels, and um, it was just an awesome experience. So I ended up getting a brand new French oak barrel. Um, Cadu was one of my favorite producers, um, again, just doing trials. And so I ended up getting a brand new barrel and the Pramard was born, Block 21, the one that is over your shoulder, um, because I just loved, I just loved the way it tasted. Um, so much like my first harvest, when all the fruit came in, I had them separated. The pomard was in one bin and the other clone was in the other. I, I produced them separately. So I barreled them separately. And then as, I, as we were tasting the wine, as it was developing, I just loved the way it tasted. So the 2014, I went ahead and just bottled by itself. So that was the first one we did that was clonal specific. And something else I'll point out, if you're going and doing wine tasting, there are very, very, very few wineries that do uh, clonal specific Pinots. And so anytime we go and do a tasting and I see somebody that did a clonal specific Pinot, I'm like, I'm buying it because it's just so <laughs> intriguing to see what somebody else does to that wine because you know what it is. I mean, you know, it's that clone and you know, I know the flavor profiles. And so to see how those wines are uh, developing is, is a lot of fun for me. And is there a, a, a consistency with the clones? And, and you take um, Pomard, for example, which you're fond of, and, and it has a certain consistency, flavor profile, texture, nuance, so that if you're 
encountering a winery that does clonal specific vineyards, when you taste it, do you immediately know, yep, that's Pomard? I mean, is it that signature? Is it that much of a fingerprint of a thumbprint where like you can, you can pick it out no matter what? You can get there. Um, I mean, it's one of those things like, can you pick a Pinot over a cab, right? I mean, you have to, you have to taste and obviously I've been doing a lot of tasting in my career. Um, you can taste the differences. And then when you're tasting the different clones, you can pick up the different flavor profiles. I think to me, um, and the, the one that you're drinking, the one that I'm drinking is the combination of the two clones. So it's not the clonal specific, the block 21 is, but on the block 21, you can, I honestly think you can taste an earthiness on the back end, but like you still get that fruitiness on the, like on your tongue when you first taste it. And so that's what I really liked about it is because you, it's almost like the best of both worlds. And you know, it's, uh, I want to, in addition to having a, a wardrobe partner, uh, sponsor, I, I want to talk a little bit about, I'm going to have to read this because this is going to be a speed round. So Jeff okay. and Jane, uh, Julie Fogarty, Amy Stasny, I don't, don't think you're on, but you might be listening on audio somewhere. Uh, Liz and Nelson, Sean, Marilyn, uh, get your buzzers ready because Kim, prior to us launching and going live, uh, came up with an idea that said, why don't we do this for the event? And I said, okay. Actually, I didn't say okay. Denise said, okay. Um, so I love the idea. So we're going to do a special offer that it's going to be to anybody tonight. So here's what it is. This is breaking news. It's not even on the, on the website that's going to be announced. Uh, but as you can see, Kim was just talking about Block 21. And Jeff and Jane, I know you're drinking Block 21. So here's what we're going to do. Um, in addition to Kim's hop kiln, which Kim and I are both drinking tonight, uh, she's giving Cellar Angels customers, we just put this into the inventory this evening. There's only two cases of this. Kim loves us, but apparently she doesn't love us that much. Uh, we only have two cases. But if you buy a case of wine this evening or more, six of those have to be block 21. So if you say, Martin, I want six block 21 and six of the hop kiln, I want 12 block 21 and 12 of the hop kiln, whatever, Kim will do with me a private virtual tasting with you and any amount of friends that you invite. So all you have to do is tell us if, if you are a Seller Angels customer and we have your uh, credit information on file, and I already see someone is chiming in, uh, and you want six of these, you want 12 of these, uh, this is going to go very, very quickly. I feel like I'm at, um, uh, but wait, wait, there's more. You get a set of steak knives, and, uh, but it's, it's, we talked about it earlier, and like I said, Kim said, let's do something fun for the loyal Seller Angels customers, very high touch, high engagement, high experience, that if you want this, either hit us in the chat, Denise is posting information, and this is first come, first serve. Uh, when we're sold out, we are sold out. Uh, so the Block 21 is very, very special, and I already see a bunch of different people. Uh, hopefully, Denise has this. Um, uh, okay. So, and oh, and Jeff and Jane would like some Ginsu knives. We can, I got a guy in Chicago that on, that on the south side, and they can get us some Ginsu knives. That's good. Um, so, the special offer is, is, I don't know if it's over yet, but it's pretty darn close. Um, Deb and, Debbie and Philip Long, Jeff, don't buy it all. Uh, 
Sean and Marilyn, this has got your name all over it. So I think there's a room in that cellar down there in Highlands Ranch uh, for uh, some Pinot Noir. But so the Block 21 is clonal specific. And, and I, and I want to talk a little bit about that, but also you decided at a point in time to say, you know what, I need to make some Sauvignon Blanc. So, so talk about the massive portfolio that makes up yeah. 150 cases. Sure. Can I make one point about the Block 21 first? And yes, you, please. You may, wanted to, you may have wanted to touch on this, the whole point thing, but I wanted to get this in because I think it's important since we are offering up the Block 21, the 2015, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention. So the very first wine that I ever submitted was the Block 21. And again, it was something that I was super passionate about. I really loved the way that it turned out. It was the Pomard clone. I got the new barrel. I was super proud. Um, I went ahead and submitted it to wine enthusiasts and I got a 94.1, point score for it. And so that was the first one I submitted. I was like, okay, this is fantastic. I know some people don't care about scores. Um, I personally didn't care about a score, but I know that it also helps sell wine. So I went ahead and get it out there. Um, and I would offer that up to you guys, but it sold out. But that's why I wanted to bring the 15 out and at least give that out as the offer. See, now, now you just opened up a whole can of worms. I know, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> there, uh, we need to do two hours of these things. I mean, we can we talk do forever. Need to do two hours. I, I have no problem with two hours. The, <laughs> so, so let's, to summarize, uh, you started in 2012, submitted no wines. 2013, submitted no wines. 2014, you were kind of smitten with the Black 21, the Pomard clone, and, and you you know, you know, jumped out on that precipice of submitting wines and said, ay, ay, ay. And, yeah. and it's interesting, those folks that know Cellar Angels, especially when we go way back to when we owned a, a bricks and mortar retail wine store in Chicago, we intentionally did not have shelf talkers. We did not have point scores or anything like that because we don't like points. We want everyone to actually be the judge of the wine themselves. If they like it and it's $13, fantastic. If they don't like it and it's $250, fantastic. At least you now know some sort of range of what you like and don't like. Um, the sad truth is points sell wine in the United States. And so what was going through your mind when you took two years and didn't submit a single wine and how scared were you to say, oh, I'm going to submit this and, and kind of like send it, it away? It was. It was just like that. I was really, really worried about doing it. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a score person. I don't, I, in all the years of buying wine, and we've gone to many of the big wine shops that have the, the, the shelf talkers and, and stuff, it, it's never been my thing either. Um, but like you said, the numbers, the points sell the wine and... Um, I was also hesitant because I have a lot of winemaking friends that I'm extremely respected uh, or respect greatly. Um, and they'd gotten scores in the low eighties and high seventies. And I'm like, Oh my God, their wines are fantastic. So I was really scared. Um, so that's probably, that probably led into me being a little shy and doing it the first couple of years. Um, but like I said, I was really proud of the way the Pomard, the block 21 turned out. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And, Let's just see what happens. And so I submitted it and it came back. I was floored. It was floored. So when I got the email, I probably read it like five times. It was amazing. So. And, and was it a, and I'm not sure how to artfully word this next question. Was it a, a validation to where you actually felt like, okay, or were you, or conversely, were you like, 
F and A right, I knew that was a great wine. You, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was more on the validation side. Just knowing me personally, I'm very hard on myself with everything that I do. Um, and so I never thought anything I was doing, any of the wines I was producing was, was good enough. And you have your friends and you have your family like, Kim, your wines are amazing. And that's fantastic to hear. But it's almost one of those things like these people don't know me. They didn't see me because, you know, when you when you send in a wine, you literally put it in a box and send it. Like they don't know anything about you unless they're reading stuff on your website, which I don't think that they do. Um, so it was it was really reassuring to have that kind of that that score come in and somebody that I don't know that isn't a family or a friend that says you're doing great. They, it was validation to basically say your wine is awesome. And so then I'm like, yeah, my, my wine is awesome. And so it, it gave me the, you know, I went out there and told everybody about it. I put the shelf talker out. I'm like, yes, it is awesome. And here's what I did for it. So yeah, it was, it was good. That is, that is fantastic. And I, and I yeah. love this story. And it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit, and you were on last week with, with Sue McNerney and, and she didn't submit her wine to Matt Kramer from Wine Spectator, uh, but he too was absolutely blown away. So it just lends credence to the fact that you have these small producers that are making exceptional wine. And by the way, I don't know what the statistics are, but I bet you 60% of the wines that are produced in Napa and Sonoma don't get submitted for scores. Oh no. Oh, it's probably not, probably more than that. I was going to say probably higher. So yeah. there's fantastic wines being made. And every now and then someone will take a chance like you did. Again, getting back to that persistence, that passion, that courage. And to say, okay, I'm, I think this is pretty damn good. So I'm going to send it off to one of the preeminent wine you know, critiques in the world and see what they say. And apparently they came back and said, yeah, this is pretty damn good. It's yeah. 94 points good. So congratulations yeah. to you for that. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. But it, it didn't lead to an, an explosion of case production but it might've led me. <laughs> no. And so then you decided, well, I, I just can't do Pinots. I have to expand the portfolio. What went into the, the addition of the Sav Blanc? Yeah, it literally was that. It was like, you know what? I want to make something else. Um, and I, so my second year, my 2013, Cindy, Cindy Costco was actually um, at the winery that I made my wine in at the time. And so she was basically mentoring me through that process. And she makes phenomenal whites and she was primarily doing whites at the time. And so I kind of like, you know, put a bug in her ear. I'm like, I think I'm about making a Sauvignon Blanc. What do you think? And um, so she was really helpful with that. But at the same time, as, as I mentioned, we did a lot of wine tasting. Uh, we were members at a winery called Alpha Omega in Napa that some of you may know about. And I apparently am not shy. And I reached out to the winemaker and I'm like, hey, your Sauvignon Blanc 1155 is my favorite Sauvignon Blanc tell me how you make it. I want to make one. He's like, okay. So he basically gave me the recipe, but the, that, and that kind of harkens back to like, people are just really nice and they're willing to help other people. If you think about it, if you're a chef and a chef is given the same ingredients and they're put in one kitchen and another chef's put in the other kitchen and they, they make the same dish, they're going to taste different. So what yeah, I, I think, I think Bobby Flay made a whole TV show on that. <laughs> this is true. Yes. Maybe he got that from me. I don't know. Um. I, I like it. Well, and, and everyone, or they should know, and I know Kim knows, I mean, the winemaker at, at AO Alpha Omega is Gene Holfinger. And, and yeah. yeah, and he makes, all the wines are a killer, but you're right. The SB is amazing. Yeah. And so, and to your point, yes, this is another example to where someone said, oh, okay, I'll share the recipe with you. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. 
It was amazing. It was a great opportunity to learn from somebody. I reached out to another winemaker friend of mine because I needed to source the Sauvignon Blanc. He hooked me up with that. Um, so I got great fruit. The first, the first, the 2013 I actually got was from Napa. And then the 2014 I got was from Russian River, um, not far from Hop Kiln. And, but one thing that I like, and, and Debbie, thank you for saying that you love RSB. I appreciate that. Uh, I wanted to make it different. Um, and again, I don't manipulate the wine, but the one thing that I can play with is the barrels. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do something different. I, I don't want the, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but I did not want the cat piss that you get off of a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. I didn't want it. I didn't want the green flavors. I didn't want that smell. I wanted, it was, sorry, is somebody, <laughs> am I not allowed to say that? Um, no, no, you can say New Zealand. <laughs> But I knew what I was after and what I didn't want, right? Um, so what I said is, you know what? People are using new French oak on set on Chardonnay. Why can't I do it on Sauvignon Blanc? And so I tried it and I thought it was fantastic. And I'm like, this is working. So I'm going to continue it. So I, I did. Um, and then I ended up going, I played around with it again the second year. Um, we have a Gracioso and a Complesso, again, from my Italian heritage, gra graceful and complex. The complex one is stainless, neutral oak, and brand new oak. Um, and the brand new oak just really brings it out. And if you taste my Sauvignon Blanc, people swear it's a Chardonnay. And I have won over so many people. They're like, I can't stand Sauvignon Blanc. I can't stand it. And I'm like, try mine. It's so different. And they try it and they're like, oh, yeah, okay. I love that. It's fantastic. It's so much different than any other Sauvignon Blanc. Well, and it's... There's a zillion things, and we should go two hours, I think, right. because we're, we're running up on time, and the network hates when we go over. Um, but the Gracioso is how many cases? I did uh, 54 cases of one and 45 cases of the other, and it just it's just the way it worked out. And, and it's, I mean, you, you talked about cat piss, and, and yes, it's a wine descriptor. It's kind of like Forest Floor, Brambly. I mean, they're yeah. all wine descriptors, and, and there is a component to that. Uh, you're, and, I, and I think it has to do with, with all of it. It has to do with the, the barrel regimen. It has to do with the, the fruit source. It has to do with the clone. It has to oil, do with the soil. everything. Everything, yeah. And like you said earlier, what Mother Nature gives you that year. But there is an absolute refreshing depth and, and nuance of complexity to your, uh, your Sauvignon Blancs that is really, really unusual and extremely approachable and refreshing at that price point. I mean, it's staggeringly amazing. Uh, Diane Yetter, a Chicago wine lover, is curious about, do you have any aspirations for higher volume? Um, I did at one point. Um, as all of you know, it's just the two of us doing this and we do it on the side. We both have two, two full-time jobs. Um, I started a new job last year. They're very demanding. Um, so at this point, no, not, not really growing it. Really happy with the volume. It's manageable. And I feel like I can really focus on the wine and make the best wine that I want um, without it being too big and not, not being in control of it and making it the best that it can be. So at this point, we're happy with it. All right, and at this point, I'm gonna launch our last poll question because okay. it actually is a personal question for Kim. Great. Uh, which she loves. <laughs> so when you were seven and Tim from, I'm just teasing. Look at you. <laughs> um, 
when I'm not in the vineyard or working with fermentation or actually doing anything with wine, you'll find me watching oh, college God. football when there was football, especially UT, hook them, exploring quantum physics and energy vibration, especially positive vibrations in seller techniques, enjoying a good book on financial reporting or statistics. That's awesome. So we're gonna give a few folks a few more minutes, not minutes, seconds. <laughs> We'll give you everybody another 15 minutes to answer this. <laughs> just stare at us otherwise. <laughs> just, I just hear the theme of Jeopardy in the background. Do, do, do. All right, five, four, three, two, one. Oh, Caitlin, <laughs> sister. <laughs> oh, Caitlin. I have to so tell no, you, some of my, my, honestly, my best friend is an Aggie. I have so many good friends that are Aggies, so. Well, for the record, Sean Manning and I am both Colorado State Aggies, which were, you know, nicknamed the, the Rams, but they used yeah. to be Colorado State Aggies. But apparently no one thinks they believe you on the fact that you've had a career in financial services because you are not going to be looking at a book. Um, so we've got a split here. Wow. Yeah, no, it's definitely the, the UT thing. Um, I <laughs> love my Longhorns. So, yeah, it would definitely be number one. Caitlin, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Please so, don't hate me now, Caitlin. Please. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, impossible. There's, there's, it's only love at the Angels. <laughs> that, sounds like a, that sounds like Charlie Angels. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anything you want to ask the Stellar Angels crowd? Oh, gosh. You know, I thought about if I did want to ask a poll. I just, I, I don't necessarily want to ask anything, but I do have to say I love you guys, your support. Denise and Martin are fantastic, and Ivy, I know you're there. Everybody at Stellar Angels is fantastic, but you guys that are constantly supporting me through them, coming to me directly, um, reaching out, asking about us, all that stuff. It's fantastic. And I can't ask for anything better. So thank you so much for all your support over the years. It's amazing. Um, with that, I know we're going to get logged off by our NBC affiliate in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> I want to honestly, I mean, we do these things because the stories are worth telling and the stories are worth sharing like great wine. And, and, and we joke a lot, we have a lot of fun, but Kim and David are some of the nicest people as are many of the Cellar Angels customers. So it's just wonderful that we can have such a communal beverage, bring it all together, uh, especially a beverage that you just can't get anywhere. And it's, it's spectacular wine. Uh, and, and yes, Diane, the personal attention that Kim gives is really second to none. Uh, she sent me a shirt. <laughs> Our, our first and only wardrobe sponsor. We're still waiting for Mark Cuban, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, and who's the other one we're waiting for? Steph Curry. S Steph Curry and LeBron James. Yeah. Um, I told you, I reached out to Steph. He was playing basketball today, and, and you know, Mark told me he was busy opening another business. I'm sorry. I couldn't get him. They're, they're totally off my Christmas card list this year. <laughs> Uh, but Kim, I know uh, video is, you're not fond of it. So I want to 
really from all of, all of us at Seller Angels, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, our friendship is, is made stronger as a result. Your wines speak for themselves. Uh, you're a testament to courage, passion, grit, perseverance, all of it. And I, I know it's, it can sometimes be a lonely pursuit to go out there and make great wine and you're in the vineyards at 4.30 in the morning checking the, the fruit and everything like that. But boy, what comes through in the bottle is just absolutely spectacular. So we can't thank you enough. And everyone at Cellar Angels, don't forget the special offer. I don't know if it's complete. Is it done? Did, did we go through it all? Okay. Um, there's still get it. An you guys need to get it. And then you'll have two more hours of this with us. I mean. It, exactly. And, and, on, and for the record, I will be wearing the same shirt. <laughs> As you um, should. But thank you, everyone. It's Friday night. Stay safe. Be good to one another. Uh, we're all going to get through this together, and we're going to get through it with great wine. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Kim. Thank Be good, you, everyone. Guys.